Hey, everybody. This is Heidi St. John. You guys have found me at my little corner of the internet. This is Off the Bench, and I'm glad you guys have joined me. Today, I'm going to tackle a topic that is sometimes overlooked as Christians, but desperately needs to be reaffirmed, and that is the discussion on the inerrancy of the Bible. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Well, I'm glad you guys have joined me. I'm having a fantastic time over here, breathing in a little bit of newborn uh, when I've got a chance to see my little baby grandson, Thatcher. And so that's been exciting for me. want to thank you guys for your continued prayers and your questions with regard to everything that's happening in my life, particularly politically right now, as I'm running to represent Southwest Washington in the United States House of Representatives. Lots and lots going on right now. And I'm continuing to take your questions here at the podcast. I've been looking through some of these uh, questions as they're coming in, particularly because right now at MomStrong International, we are studying discernment and why it is so important that Christians have a good understanding of the word of God. And I got a letter and I'm going to read this to you because I think it's important. I got a letter about the inerrancy of scripture at, uh, at Mailbox Monday, and I didn't have a chance to go over it yesterday. So I wanted to come back to it today, but Katie in California wrote this. She wrote, Dear Heidi, I just found out that two of my closest friends do not believe in the inerrancy of scripture. This was a bit shocking to me. I've talked to them about it and they say that there are many good Christians who also believe this because the Bible doesn't specifically claim to be inerrant. I believe the Bible is without error. So no matter what anyone says, I won't change my mind, but I'm not sure how to proceed forward in fellowship. Any words of advice would be helpful so thankful for you. I never miss an episode. Wow. So thank you, Kate in California. I love hearing from you. Listen, these uh, doctrines, this is a doctrine of the church, and it's so important that we teach these things to our children. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So it's literally, the Bible says, God breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped in every good work. Uh, This inspiration deals with the origin of the Bible. And so as Christians, we believe that God breathed out the words of the Bible using human writers uh, as a vehicle. And so Paul was instructing Timothy, when you talk about scripture, remember that it is literally God breathed. And this brings us to the topic of infallibility. Infallibility. So this speaks to the authority and the enduring nature of the Bible. I read a uh, wonderful definition of inerrancy and why we should care about it at a website that I will link back to in the show notes today. But I want to read this to you because I thought, man, this is totally right. It's been said that a table must have at least three legs to stand. If you take away any of those three legs, it will surely topple. And the same thing is true in the way that the Christian faith stands on three important legs. These three legs are inspiration, infallibility, and the inerrancy of scripture. If you take away one, like a table, the divine authority of the Christian faith will surely topple. And these three ends, the inerrancy of scripture, the infallibility, and the inspiration of the Bible Uh, they complement each other, but they express a slightly different distinction in our understanding of scripture. That's why I took you first to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, where the Bible teaches us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God 
and is God breathed. So that takes you to infallibility, right? The next in in these three legs of the Christian doctrine, particularly as it relates to scripture. To be infallible means that something is incapable of failing and therefore is permanently binding and cannot be broken. Peter said, quote, the word of the Lord endures how long, you guys? Forever. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. And therefore, its authority cannot be broken. And so when we address a difficult passage, Jesus instructed us. He said, the scripture cannot be broken in John chapter 10, verses 34 to 35. And in fact, he said, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law until it is all fulfilled. And these speak directly to the Bible's infallibility. And then finally, inerrancy. This simply means that the Bible is without error. It's a belief in the total truthfulness and the reliability of God's word. Inerrancy isn't just in passages that that speak about salvation, but it also applies to all historical and scientific statements that are made in the Bible as well. It's not only accurate in matters related to faith and practice, but it's accurate and without error regarding any statement period. And this matters because one, it's attached to the character of God. Two, it's taught in scripture. And three, it's the historic position of the Christian church. And it's foundational to all the other essential doctrines of the Bible. So in other words, if we don't believe that the Bible is without error, what are we going to start cherry picking? Was the, And this is why I've been so... Um, Uh, adamant and strong in my defense that we teach creation as God uh, explained it to us in the book of Genesis. Either we believe God's word or we don't. That's That's what my grandmother used to say to me. She's like, you can't cherry pick what God said in his Bible based on what we want as a culture or where the winds of the culture are blowing because the Bible says that this, uh, that the inerrancy of scripture is actually based on the character of God. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, 18, that God cannot lie. And so God's not going to lie intentionally to us, right? Because why? He is the the giver of absolute moral law, right? And so without it, we're in trouble. The Bible teaches that God cannot err because he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Uh, I went to a Christian school, to Portland Christian, when I was a young girl. And when I was in the third grade, they started teaching us about the character qualities of God. And the very first thing we learned about was the omniscient nature of God, that he's all-knowing. And if the Bible is the written word of God, and it is, then it is without error because God, as the absolute moral lawgiver and the omniscient God, he knows all things. He tells us the way it is. And the Bible says he cannot lie. The second thing we need to remember as Christians is that inerrancy, the doctrine of inerrancy was taught by Christ and was also taught by the disciples in the New Testament. And this should be our primary basis for believing it. Listen to what B.B. Warfield said. He said, and I quote, we believe this doctrine of the plenary inspiration of the scriptures primarily because it is the doctrine which Christ and his apostles believed and which they have taught us. Uh, To quote Jesus himself, the scripture cannot be broken. And until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot or a tittle is gonna pass away from the law until it is all accomplished. That means every single word in scripture is going to come to pass. And we cannot say as uh, as human beings to decide what we believe to be true and what we believe not to be true. The inerrancy of scripture is fundamental to every other doctrine. And this is so important. Listen to what uh, got, gotquestions.org says, and I will link back to this in the show notes today for you also. The doctrine of biblical inerrancy is extremely important 
because the truth matters. And you guys, we're living in a time right now when we have decided that truth no longer matters. We're watching this in the culture. I've talked about cultural Marxism, this idea that we can change the language, right? And we see what's happening to the culture as uh, people who wish to make tre- tremendous and dramatic and devastating changes to the culture and the way we see life, they know they can't do that unless they change the language. The language is very, very important. And this issue of truth really does reflect on the character of God, and it's foundational to everything that the Bible teaches. The Bible itself claims to be perfect. Uh, the Bible says in Psalms 12, verse 6, All the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in the furnace of clay, purified seven times. Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. These claims of purity and perfection are absolute statements. Note that it doesn't say that God's word is mostly pure. It says every word of God is pure. It doesn't say it's mostly perfect. It says that the law of the Lord is is perfect. And as a young girl, uh, as my as my Bible teachers were talking to me about these important issues, we understood that the foundations from what from where we take everything else, the foundation of scripture, uh we don't challenge it as believers. We take it at face value. God said I made them male and female in my image. You guys see the problem? When we start saying that the Bible is full of problems or that some things are uh, are truthful and some things are not. Or if we say, well, God really, he didn't mean it when he was talking about uh, creation. That's just an allegory. No, we take God at his word. The Bible says that the word of God will not fail. And in fact, Isaiah said that the grass will wither and the flower will fade, but the word of God will stand how long, men and women? It will stand forever. And I don't know about you, but I will stand on the unchanging, inerrant, authoritative word of God for as long as I live and teach my children to do the same. I teach my children that truth matters. We're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm gonna give you two more things to stand on regarding the inerrancy of scripture. I'll be right back. So welcome back. We're talking about the inerrancy of scripture. These are questions that I'm getting routinely here at the show. And frankly, uh, it encourages me to see you guys really searching the scriptures. If you haven't joined my Bible study community at MomStrong International, I want to encourage you to do it. We do something there called Kids Strong every month also, where we take what we're learning in God's word and we teach you how to teach your children. It's more important now than it's ever been that we stand on the authority of scripture and we teach our children that God does not lie, that it goes against his character to lie. And so it stands to reason that every word which Paul told Timothy is God breathed. If it was breathed from God, then it is without error. Think about this for a moment, you guys. We talk a lot about the fake news in our culture right now, right? We're always talking about the fake news outlets and how we can't trust anybody anymore. And uh, and we don't know that what we read in the news is true. That's absolutely been true uh, for me in my run for Congress. I have noticed over the last year and a half that news sources that I once trusted have printed articles about me that are patently false. And they say at the bottom, oh, we reached out to Heidi St. John for comment or whatever. And nine times out of 10, they never reach out to you or they reach out, but not really, because then when you try to get back to them, they don't answer the phone or whatever it is. And therefore we don't trust these news organizations anymore, right? That's why you heard uh, Donald Trump a long time ago, start referring to the news organizations as fake news. As Christians, we can never, ever get into the habit of starting to say, well, I wonder if God's word is true or if it isn't. 
because God says that his word is absolutely true. The Bible stands or falls as a whole. GotQuestions.org says that if a major newspaper were routinely discovered to contain errors, it would quickly be what? Discredited. It would make no difference to say, well, we put all the errors on page three. Because for a paper to be reliable in any of its parts, it must be factual throughout. In the same way, if the Bible is inaccurate when it speaks on geology, then why should its theology be trusted? Either it's a trustworthy document or it's not. And that is why this question uh, that Kate in California sent in is so important. The Bible is either true or it isn't. And we must never, ever as believers move away from this important doctrine on the inerrancy of scripture. The Bible is a reflection of its author. And in fact, all books are. The Bible, according to God's word, was written by God himself as he worked through human authors in a process that we call inspiration. It's what I was talking about at the beginning of the show today, taking you back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and also 2 Peter 1, 21. So important that we that we get familiar, that we familiarize ourselves with the word of God and what the Bible says about the word of God. I love this, uh, Jeremiah 1, verse 2, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. The word of the Lord came to him. That's what the Bible teaches. It's so important that we trust that the Bible is a reflection of the author. And we believe that the God who created the universe is certainly capable of writing a book. And the God who is perfect is capable of writing a perfect book. This issue does not simply uh, stand on whether or not the Bible has a mistake. The issue is, can God make a mistake? And Kate, that's how I would always frame that with my own children. The issue is not, does the Bible contain a mistake? If we believe that God is the author, if we believe in inspiration and the inspiration of God, God breathing his words to human authors, then the question is not, Does the Bible contain mistakes? The question is, can God make a mistake? And if the Bible contains factual errors, then God is not omniscient. In other words, he's no longer um, uh, all-knowing, but he is capable of making errors himself. Uh, If the Bible contains misinformation, then God is not truthful, but he is instead a liar. And we know that the Bible uh, claims to be the inerrant, inspired word of God. And God said uh, that he cannot lie. He's not gonna do something that's contrary to his word. Do you guys remember, uh, I was telling you a story some months back, I think, about a woman that I met at a homeschool conference in Indianapolis. And I was talking about male and female. God said that I made them male and female in my image. This is why we know that there are no contradictions in God's definition of male and female. He didn't say I made them male and female and other. He did not say I made them male and female and trans. He said, I made them male and female in my image. This is the truth. It's, it goes to one of the laws of nature that we understand. Uh, as our founding fathers called it, the law of nature and nature's God. Well, who is the law? Who is the God of nature? It's the creator, right? It's God himself. And if the Bible contains contradictions, then God becomes the author of confusion. In other words, if biblical inerrancy is not true, then God is simply not God. The Bible says, uh, for the word of God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's Hebrews 4.12. Notice the relationship between the heart and the word. The word examines and the heart is being examined. Remember, David said that the heart was desperately wicked. And we need to uh, 
to put our heart and our lives and our motives up against what God says is a pure motive and right uh, judgment. And the Bible says the word of God then judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. So the word examines and the heart is being examined, right? So to discount parts of the word for any reason reverses this process. And then we become the examiners and the word has to submit to our insight rather than we submit to the insight of the word of God. And yet God says, who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Uh, In Romans chapter nine, verse 20 in the ESV, it says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? We are so arrogant in the world right now, particularly in the church, to assume that we know better than God, which he has told us in his word, that he is the creator of the universe. He is the one who judges the thoughts and intentions of the human heart. And the Bible is our only rule for faith and practice. If the Bible is not reliable, then on what do we base our beliefs? And I have watched as the woke church, as the progressive church has moved farther and farther away from this. We've moved away from it in the issues of abortion. We've moved away from it in the issues of government. We moved away from it in the issues of marriage. But God is the one who defines marriage. And as Christians, we either believe that his word is true or it isn't. And if we're not sure, then we got to go back and we got to study God's word to stay, to, uh, to know for ourselves what his word says. As a woman who has taught the Bible for many, many years, I'm always telling women what Kay Arthur taught me many years ago, and that is we let scripture interpret scripture. So human beings do not inter- interpret scripture. If we've got a question about scripture, then we go back to God's word and that is where we find our answer because Jesus asks for our trust and that includes our trust in him, in what he says in his word. Uh, John chapter six, verses 67 to 69. I wanna read this to you. So Jesus said to the 12, do you wanna go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have made the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the one and only Whole, holy God. This is a beautiful passage uh, because it illustrates a point. Jesus had just witnessed the departure of many who claimed to follow him. And then he turned to his 12 disciples and he asked them, do you want to leave me too? And at this point, Peter spoke for all of us when he said, Lord, whom shall we go to? You have the words of eternal life. And I pray you guys that we have that same faith in the Lord Jesus and in his words of life. Uh, when we talk about biblical inerrancy, it doesn't mean that we stop using our minds or we accept what the Bible says blindly. The Bible says that we are commanded to study the word of God. That's 2 Timothy uh, 2.15, do your best to present yourselves to God as a workman who's approved, a workman who rightly handles the word of God and does not need to be ashamed. And those who seek it out and search it out are commended. Acts verse seventeen, uh, Acts chapter seventeen, verse eleven says, "Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see these things and see if they were so." The Bible commends the Bereans for their for their study of the word. It's why we study the word. We are commanded to study it. Second Timothy two fifteen says, "Do yourself, uh, do your best to present yourselves to God." as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, who can rightly handle the word of God. This is why we studied the word over at MomStrong International. It's why I've been telling you guys for many, many years that we are not in a position 
as Christians to ever abandon the consistent study of the word of God. You guys, God's word is not afraid of the truth. It is the truth. So whatever your questions are, his word is reliable. His word is infallible. His word is inspired. This is one of the most important doctrines of the Christian faith. And it's why the moment we decide to stray away from that, that third leg of that table of which some of our doctrine uh, as Christians rests on is so important. To remove it means that the whole table can topple. And so we stand on the authority of scripture because God said, this is who I am. I am omniscient. My word will stand forever. The grass will wither and the flower will fade, but my words will not pass away. My words will stand forever. And as Christians, we stand on the infallible word of God. And that is what we teach our children and the rising generation. Uh, This was a great question that came in from Kate in California. If you guys have more questions for me, please shoot them to me at HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. I want to thank you guys for continuing to send these questions in. These conversations are so important. And I quoted today from uh, one of my favorite go-tos, which is gotquestions.org. I'll link back to it in the show notes today. And also uh, a brand new website that I came out uh, and I found today talking about why it's so important that we defend the inerrancy of scripture. So it's under attack right now, you guys. And the International Council on Biblical Inerrancy, founded in 1977, specifically covers concerns about the erosion of the the teaching of the inerrancy of the Bible. So Christian leaders, moms and dads, this is so important. We must not walk away from this important doctrinal position on on the infallibility and the inerrancy of scripture. I appreciate you guys listening today and I'm gonna come back tomorrow. We're gonna have more encouraging things to talk about. If this podcast is encouraging to you, I would hope that you would share it with your friends and your family, share it out there on social media. We had a great conversation a couple of weeks ago about crystals and the occult. And I think actually that might be passing up the most downloaded podcast in the history of the Heidi St. John podcast, which was a podcast on yoga. And I will revisit that topic again really, really soon. Thank you guys for your prayers and your support. And you can find out more about me at HeidiStJohn.com and MomStrongInternational.org. Have a great day, everybody. And I'll see you back here again at the intersection of faith and culture.